Crazy, crazy, crazy. There's a Maslin curbside social distance signing at the Maslin High School July 19th from 12 to 2. Come down. Buy a book for $25, cash or credit card, and get it signed by coaches and special guests. We'll see you there. More information in the podcast. Shut up and sit down. And welcome to the first off-season edition of the Blast Swarm Podcast. Been a while. Just nice to talk to you guys again. Hank Kuiper here with Rob Antonell and two very special guests, Coach David Morgan and Scott Ryan. And uh, what do you guys do What's happening? We are so excited to be here on the show. Long-time listener, first-time guest. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, I remember when you first reached out to us, uh, you mentioned how you listened to a lot of them. Uh, we definitely appreciate that. Uh, but today is about you guys. Um, Wait here. a minute, every day isn't about us? Because we have been told differently. We had heard that every <laughs> well, day was about us. I'm not sure us. who told you that. But not, uh, <laughs> they were lying their asses off. <laughs> uh, the reason we're here. The reason we're here, um, you know, we're here to promote promote your great book. And, uh, you know, we got the chance to read it ahead of time, uh, Hank and I. And, you know, we, we definitely enjoyed it. And we got this all set up so we could discuss it. Um, discuss your guys's uh, you know release and signings and all of the great stuff that you have coming up um so just uh tell us a little bit about what's going on well i have to start by saying that you guys are the reason this book exists i mean some could say maybe it's the mass and tiger football team they no it's the two of you <laughs> Um, This is a total true story. I was in New York, and it was the week of the Hoban game. Hoban was coming up that Friday, and I, I was in New York for a book signing, and it was for a different book about Gilmore Girls, which I know there's a lot of crossover between your guys' podcasts <laughs> oh, yeah. and the Gilmore Girls. So, that you know, diagram it, is just one big circle. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's very similar. And everyone was like, are you staying in New York City all weekend? And I'm like, are you kidding me? No, the biggest thing in the world is happening in my hometown. I'm going home. So on the ride home, we're still in New York traffic. We're driving home, and I, I got to listen to my Black Swarm podcast. I got to get hyped up for the game. And your guest that week was Coach David Lee Morgan. And he says on the podcast he wants to write a book. He's like, I, I'm, I'm going to do a book on this. I hit pause on the podcast. I said to my wife, get me Maslin School's phone number. Google it. I, I mean, I just I wanted there to be a book about this season because I have a publishing company, and I'm too close to the Tigers to write a book about the Mass and Tigers. I've been going since I was a little kid. There's no way I could be fair and write a book that wasn't just Maslin's great and everyone else sucks. So she gets, she says, this is Maslin's um, number. I call the high school and I say, um, can I speak to Coach Morgan? And they're like, just a minute. And they connect me to a classroom and I'm driving through downtown New York City traffic while this is going on, and Dave, you take the story from here. Yeah, so I'm in class. I forget what mod it was, what period. I don't know, maybe. Actually, I think it was my journalism class. And I'm always telling them stories about how things happen in life out of the blue. If you're a reporter, you've got to be able to just jump on it. So I get this phone call, and I'm like, yeah, this is uh, Mr. Morgan. And 
Scott said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a publisher. You know, I, I listen to the uh, Black Swarm podca- podcast and interested in, 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 in doing your book. And I put it on speaker, actually, because I wanted my kids to see this is how this kind of stuff just happens. I mean, you know, there are some people who plan out books, but sometimes, you know, you're, you're, you kind of just end up in a situation where you've got a chance to write a book about it because you're so involved with it. So um, Scott said, hey, you know, we'd love to publish your book. You know, win or lose the state championship. You know, we want to. When can I come to your classroom and sign a contract? We'd like to sign a contract ASAP. So I think it might have been a. It might. It wasn't too long after that, um, or maybe it was. It was Monday. It was after Hoban. I came to your classroom, and the funny thing is, I didn't listen to the rest of your podcast before I called him. Then you know, once we set up, we were going to talk after Hoban. I, I hit the play, and then he starts saying that he wrote seven other books. And I thought, oh, a real businessman would have continued listening, <laughs> Googled him, found out if he could write. I mean, all he did. So well, you didn't know. I knew nothing. I didn't listen to the rest You didn't of know it. I did the LeBron book. Or, I didn't know a thing about you. Jim I didn't Trestle. know you were an English teacher, a journalism major. I didn't know one damn thing about you. What I knew was <laughs> wow, that's hilarious. I wanted there to be a book. Because I felt that the last three years of Maslin football, which let's, I'm not saying it's the last three years of Maslin football, the prior three years, uh, were incredible. And I thought, this is a story, and I want to tell this story, but I knew I couldn't write it. There was just no way. It wasn't for me to do. So when you said you wanted it, I thought, I'm getting that guy. And then I found out, oh, he can write. That made the book much better for everyone. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we talked about this, and I'm glad you guys had me on because, really, when I was on with you guys, there was no book. I mean, we were still in the season. I was still, you know, taking notes during the season to figure out, you know, how I was going to put the book together. So it's kind of interesting where, you know, this is where we kind of everything started, and now the book is complete, which is really cool because from that point until now, or even when the book was published, what, in like or when when I he had to have it in June 1st there was just always something with the book that I had to do whether it was editing re-editing you know rewriting redrafting something getting photos there was just always something that we had to do so it's it's kind of cool to have it out and be able to talk about it and look back and actually look at the journey of what you know how it all came together because it was a like you guys know it was a last minute thing last minute thing I wasn't going to coach Maslin Tigers football and the running backs coach I mean no that wasn't for me but it just ended up this was an incredible experience like Scott said you know I've written all kinds of books and you know work at the Beacon Journal so many other newspapers and this is probably the one of the greatest sports experiences I've ever had just coaching at Maslin it I, I I write about that. It, it is. It's you know. I've covered LeBron. I've covered the NCAA championship, women's championship in Cleveland. I, I mean, I've done so many of the World Series. But this is this is probably the best experience I've ever had. Well, you know, I also finished your podcast, and you guys probably don't remember, but at the end of your podcast, you talked to him about Krause's pizza, and he had never had it. And I, you know, we 
I think it was actually later that day we had the call with my partner, David Bushman. We got him on the phone, yeah, yeah. and then we had a real substantive uh, call that I don't think he had me on speakerphone in, in all of Maslin, Washington High no, School. No, no, no. But because for all I know, all our contract negotiations were, <laughs> no. were handled by the no, journalists. No, I was at home that day, and I remember I was just looking outside over by Monument Park, and I just remember, you know, David coming on. So, no, we weren't in school. Then. Yeah, I was driving across Pennsylvania by the time we had the second call. But mm-hmm. in that time, I had learned that you had never tasted Krause's pizza. So I was supposed to bring the contracts to Maslin School uh, after the Hoban game. And I brought Krause's pizza with me and made him have a bite of it before I would let him sign the contract. Because yeah. I said, no one's going to write a book about Maslin and never having had Krause's pizza. Yeah, so. yeah, and it was the journalism class, and he brought I don't know deep like dish five, and five I, of them. I brought double crust and single. And crust, the kids so killed them. it. And then you know it's funny because guys like Zion and I'm trying to think T- Terrence, Terrence Keys and, and Preston, all these other guys who I don't have <laughs> had as sophomores, but don't have now. They must have smelled it. They came out of nowhere. Well, so who was the coach? One of the coaches came in uh, and and took it too. Oh, Chip, 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 Chip Coach Robinson, Chip, Chip, Chipper. Yeah, because it got out through the school that yeah. there was Krause's pizza. Yeah, in, yeah, uh, yeah. Everybody's knocking on my door. You got more pizza, <laughs> Coach Morgan? Give me a slice. I'm like, get out of my damn room. <laughs> I think that was, uh, you know, w- without discussing you know details of the book. I think that was one of my favorite favorite parts. Um, was when you mentioned that I think Coach Hex smelled the Krauses from down the hallway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. I think uh, I think that was one of the little tidbits. I, yeah. just, I just really appreciate it. Our room connected, but you have to go out of my room around to his, and I could hear everything in Hack's room, but he could smell that coming in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I brought a lot because I knew he had a class, and so there was enough for everyone. Yeah. Um, and. I remember that Terrence was wearing a uh, something on his ankle, or yeah, oh yeah, yeah, you know, because he had gotten hurt, yeah. right, and he wasn't going to play because the next week was Avon. Oh right, 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 right. So what, that's when I was in there because he sat. Yeah, out. he had the boot. He had the boot. He played, but what happened was he did something. I, I want to say was it the game before? Maybe maybe it wasn't, but he it was just a precaution. He just he kept that boot on. He didn't practice. And he kept the boot on. Because I remember I said to him, look, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but I think you'll run faster without that thing on your foot yeah. on Friday. Yeah. Yeah. And he, it was, he, I got nothing. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, no. I, mean, I, got, I got literally nothing from him. I thought, okay. well, well, we could talk about that another time, but he was going through a lot that week. He certainly was. I just tried you know, to, you know, uh, I was playing with a lot of your students. Yeah, yeah. I. I like to, especially yeah. teenagers. I yeah. love to push them because they're so serious, and yeah. they, you know. Yeah. Um, and so he's typically I, he's typically a lighthearted. You could joke with him, but you know his injury and then everything else he was going through. He was just he was mentally out of it. Uh, so first question, real quick: uh, East Side, West Side, Krauses. Which one was it? Okay, well, this is why. I, I mean, I'm excited to be here to sell a book, but I really want to tell you guys. You don't tell what is East Side and West Side, so I don't know which one is East Side and West Side. We noticed, so we noticed that on Twitter, there are people that are yeah. So you have got to say was, which one is right, which. So Amherst is East Side. See, I thought that was West Side. Amherst is East Side. 
and then on Lincoln Way, on the west side Over of Maslin, yes. yep, that would be west side. We got some people that started talking about one in Perry, I guess. I didn't even know they had one. Yeah, there's one because um, that's closer to me because I live in Canton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. The argument, so this was uh, the one on Lincoln Way is the one that I brought them. So west side. Oh, so west side then. So, so that's west So side. the west side's the better side then. Well, I got to <laughs> tell you guys something that is going to be, I don't know, this really changed my life. But there's a Krause's on 30th Street, and it is in bulldog country. And I always wear a Maslin shirt everywhere I go. Their double crust is fantastic. And it's completely different than East Side and West Side. Hmm. And whenever I go through the drive-thru, they always complain about my shirt. And then I say, who won last year? Yeah. <laughs> and then they shut up. And maybe it's their spit in the pizza that's making it so good. But it's a, <laughs> they put a, um, because they know it's a, I'm from Maslin. Yeah. But I'm telling you, I know, I think you should try it. If I was a better person, I would have brought some for you. But I'm yeah. not that good. We might have to try that. You know, to go along with your, your spit theory, you know, there, there's a long theory that the, the sweat dripping off of the guy's head on the east side is what made it so good. <laughs> well, it could so, be. I, well, I've uh, had east side and west side. But I didn't know that it that the Amherst one seems would be north to me. I would call that north, but it's fine. But I've been wondering that forever. But he had West Side yeah, because West Side. I came down from Columbus. I got off, came right down mm-hmm. Lincoln Way. It was fabulous. I, I never had it. Everybody at school would say, this, especially Coach Miller, Kale Miller. He yeah. goes there like yep. religiously. Yeah, you know him and 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 I think I wrote about that in the book. Um, <laughs> Hack. He goes, you know, it's funny because, like, on Friday nights after games, it's funny. And I even called the lady. I forget her name. I think it was Stephanie I called. I said, hey, you know, I'm doing a book, and, you know, I want to talk about, you know, Coach Hack. You know, oh, yeah, he's been ordering 13 years, and he gave me what the, what he orders every, you know. And we'll be in the locker room, and everybody will be like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Hack's on the phone. Yeah, this is Coach Hack. And they're like, all right, we got you. It'll be ready in a half hour. You know what I mean? So, that dude. Well, and I actually said that to Hack. I didn't realize that's who it was. Now I know who all these coaches are, but that, that day I didn't. And you said he gets it every time. And I said, well, why didn't you share with him? And when he left the room, I said, that guy hates you, just so you know, <laughs> because if he's not sharing, you know, if I find out someone has never had Krauses, and you got to start with double crust. Now, are you guys double crust? Uh, when we did our taste test, we did double crust. Right. That's the way it should be. I actually tried to get Krauses to give me a coupon to put in the back of the book, but I couldn't ever get someone to get on the phone with me long enough because I thought, wouldn't it be fun to have mm-hmm. a Krauses coupon yeah. in the back of the book just for fun? But Yeah. Hack um, was a chicken guy, though. Hack mm-hmm. loves chicken. Loves chicken. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why. That's they have why. good wings. Yeah. Krauses also has good wings, too. I couldn't feed the whole class, you know. Yeah. I mean, they got, they got pizza. It had to be pizza and wings. Do a sequel, and maybe there we'll talk go. about the wings. There you go. Okay. Uh, so getting back into your story, not not just the book, um, but your Maslin football story. Um, if if I'm correct, it, it hasn't even been a full year since right. you accepted the job as being a Maslin coach. Right. And now we are here getting ready for your book to you know, fully come out. It's done. Um, so I know how busy football coaches are during the season. I don't know anything about authors or publishers and how much work goes into that. Um, tell us, you know, just how busy has your last 10 months been? That's a great question. And I'll tell you why. <clears throat> because 
When I came up with the idea of writing a book about Maslin, a lot of people, people who are just, you know, just the general public, they would say, you know, oh, it's going to be a book about the history of Maslin. No, it's not. Because that those books have been written already. Nobody wants to read about that. You could research all of that. But what made it different is how many coaches, like, you have to flip this script. And like, you know, when you write books, there's always a publisher that's always devil's advocate. They always have to play the devil. Okay, why would somebody want to read it? Why is, you know, so I always look at it like this. There have been hundreds of of masculine football coaches, but how many of them have been published authors? Now, how many authors have been masculine coaches? As far as I know, one, me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so that perspective is how I had to write the book. Not from, okay, this is what masculine football is all about, the history of masculine football. It's what is it like from an outsider to come into Maslin and see everything and be part of it, but really be an outsider, but still be part of the family? And then what are some of the stories, those those kind of, you know, those, those what's the word I'm looking for? You know, that, those stories that people don't see every day. Outside of just who's who's running a four or five, who's getting division one, you know, who's getting all that, just subplots of you know, what is it like for a kid who felt like he was going to lose his job because somebody else came in? How do, how are they going to work together? Um, and a lot of these kids went through a lot of personal turmoil throughout the season that most people wouldn't know about, you know, or most people wouldn't have an eye to see that. And that's where, like, I feel like my journalistic instinct, instinct came in because, you know, there, you know, I had players that would come into my room talking about stuff that happened in practice that I thought would be interesting stories for other people to read and, and see how they came out of those things and, and how it transformed them into different people. So the whole perspective was completely different than just another, hey, here's a masculine. Hell, you go to the museum. I mean, Prunty, Ron Prunty. I mean, that thing is amazing. So if you wanted history, it's there. This book isn't about the history. It's, it's from a perspective of somebody outside who got to coach at one of the the most storied high school programs in the country. And that's what the whole book is about. I think it's interesting you say that about like all the subplots and stuff going on. Because when I went in, like my expectation for the book were like, it was going to be about the season, you know, what it was like, everything. And the games themselves kind of took a back seat as far as everything. And you get to hear stories about, uh, you know, a backup running back that did felt like he didn't get enough playing time or like you said about Zion, you get another running back coming and you hear about his perspective and like all the other, all this other little stuff um, that like you got to relive more than just the game itself. Yeah, that's a good point too because, and that's, you know, I'll, I'll give um, Scott and Dave Bushman, our other publisher, credit because we wanted to stay away from just rehashing, you know, each game. I mean, anybody could research it. You could just go online and. Well, they're on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, that's it, the main thing. Yeah, uh, you can. Every game is up there. Right, um, they're there. Matter of fact, I remember. You know, Scott. For, I, I, I remember this. So at the end of every chapter, I, we had a box score, and I decided to have, you know, the score how how each team scored. But that was getting too cumbersome, and Scott said, "We need to cut that. Let's just put the box score. You know, first quarter, Maslin. You know, 
38057. And you know what's funny about that? I don't even know if I ever told you this, but very early on, one of the things that both of us, David and I, wanted to be sure is that Nate Moore was good with whatever went in the book. We, you know, we're both Tiger fans. We don't want anything out there that that he wasn't fine with. So we gave Nate and Becca Moore the Word document well before we designed the book. And I got a text from Becca Moore that said, I absolutely love how you put in each kid who scored every point. And I said, great, because I just cut that two days ago. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, what? And I'm like, it just became cumbersome. And I thought in 15 years from now, does it matter who scored the fourth touchdown in the third game of the year? I mean, I don't know that that is the story that this book is telling. And that stuff will be out there and it'll be history, but we didn't want it. To me, I wanted to share, so many people think I'm nuts. I live in, and I am, but not for this reason. I live in Columbus. I grew up in Maslin, but I live in Columbus. I drive for every game. So I drive two hours, or if the game's in Youngstown, four hours, wherever it is. Well, people think I'm crazy. They're like, for high school. Like, you're driving, don't you get home at 2 in the morning? And I'm like, I, I don't care when I get home. <laughs> and they think I'm nuts. And I'm like, but you don't understand what Maslin football is. And people in Maslin who read this book, they're going to remember the season. But this book is shipping worldwide. People, you know, a kid in Texas and Florida and Idaho is going to read what it's like to be a Maslin Tiger. And that's what this book, I think, tells. Well, you guys tell me because you've read it. I mean, I think he did a, a great job of giving you a inside look at what it's like to be a Tiger over, you know, what plays they ran. Yeah. I, I, no, go well, ahead. well I, I totally agree with him 100%. The reason why I wanted to do it the way we had it initially was because of this reason. You know, being a being a sports writer for so many years and covering professional sports in college and high school was I had the most fun covering high school sports because those were times when most some of those kids, that would be the only time they would ever have anything positive written about them that they could keep forever. And so anytime I was able, when I worked at the Beacon Journal, anytime I was able to add kids' name anywhere, even if it was something marginal that still contributed to something their name got in because i would go to certain restaurants in akron and like at luigi's or and look up there and i would see uh an article from 1997 that i wrote and it's all yellow and tattered but those kids or that family will always go in there say look there's johnny you know so that's why i always try to put kids names in but i get for, for the purpose of our book you know, it, it was just going to take up a lot of because Masson scored a lot of points. And if yeah. you do oh, every scoring right, drive, right, right. I told him it's probably going to add 30 pages to the book. And here I'm the bad guy because look at him saying, oh, I'm trying to lift these kids up. And I'm like, I cut them. <laughs> Get them out of there. Take that, Zach Patron, you're caught. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, um, but I got to balance cost yeah. and all those things didn't think it was adding to it now we do really focus on the mckinley game and the hoban game those games are broken down i mean how did you guys feel about the mckinley chapter 
Um, I mean, there's a lot to it that I definitely liked. Um, I mean, I liked how um, you had Becca break down all of the events. Because that's something I always try to talk about is how much stuff goes on during McKinley Week. And not all of it includes the players or the whole team. Um, but it's it's never been something that I could kind of get across verbally. Nobody just picks up on how much stuff there is. They stop listening after you say the third thing. Um, so I think having it broken down and from her perspective explaining what it is and her opinion on it, I, I definitely liked that. I liked how she explained all of it. Isn't she amazing? Awesome, yeah. I mean, we don't want to take away from David Morgan here <laughs> who wrote a great book, but I was really... We we had talked about how do we cover McKinley Week, and I think it was David who said, "Let's ask Becca," because I said we gotta we gotta just like you're saying, like when I'm in Columbus or somewhere and I try to explain Maslin McKinley, they don't get it. So I said, "Who can?" And I'm pretty sure you said, "Let's ask let's ask Becca more because to write she's always book. involved with so much mm-hmm. throughout this school year." You know, just just the, that you know regular day to day. But that McKinley week, she is everywhere. It's insane. And that I mean, and she's so honest about every event. Mm-hmm. She does not sugarcoat it yeah. at all. So I really appreciated that a lot. I mean, that that's a. I think that part is going to open the eyes to people in Maslin about what it's like for that week. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, looking at the book as a whole. Um, going back to what you were saying, I think two of the things that, you know, kind of caught me off guard with the book was, you know, how, you know, personal it was um, with some of the players, with some of the stories that you had, um, and the fact that it was from more of an outsider's perspective. You know, going back to what you said, Scott, was, you know, you couldn't write that book. No. I could not write this book. <laughs> no. You know, there's, there's a few times where, you know, you're saying things from more of an outsider's perspective, and I'm just like, you know grinning i'm like oh you know a masculine person would never you know that's, well, yeah, you know you know, you know I mean, like how dare you not yeah. say we're the best perfect right, team right. Ever. Exactly. how dare you say that but i was like you know it's, and he it's probably, probably got those notes thing. from me too <laughs> yeah. there was a couple times where especially you know i th- i mean i think i we can say whatever but like in the perry chapter where I was pushing him. Oh yeah. And he, he and he and I'm so glad he did it because he made the right it's a respectable book everyone can come to it there isn't any of that. But you know, a true Maslin fan has things to say about Perry. I mean, yeah. we just do. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, I think um you know, just some of the stories that you were telling. I mean, you know, we do the podcast. Um we were sideliners, so we had kids that played. We we're in the booster club. We know a lot of the coaches. We, we feel like we know a lot of things. And then you read this book and it's like, wow, that, I've never heard of that. Or I had no idea this went on. There's a few like major things you talked about and I, I had no idea yeah. like this stuff was going on. So, I mean, even for people that are in the know, they think known about. That's what, that's what I realized. Um, as a sports writer, you know, when I would cover Stark County for the Beacon Journal, you know, you come into the locker rooms when the game's over. That's, I mean, you've only got, you're, you're, and you're on deadline. So you're only in there, you know, 10 minutes because you got most of your stuff out on the field. But you know what? One of the things that, um, one of the things that, that really, this may be something very subtle, but one of the things that really, I really loved about coaching was the fact that, you know, at halftime, when we go into the locker room and we're at home 
and everybody's running downstairs to get hot dogs and and listen to the tiger swing whatever it is there were times when we would be in the locker room and going over you know like the offense like the the coaches would meet and figure out what we're going to talk about the players are just doing you know in whatever you know getting on each other or whatever and then we have a clock in the locker room that has the you know the clock on the field so it's just it's cool to know that nobody knows what the hell's going on what we're doing right now they're going to get a hot dog they're they're you know taking their little kid to the bathroom and we're in there playing a chess game to and guys are saying stuff and coaches are you know they're in control they're confident but it's just cool to know that these 10,000 8,000 fans have no idea like what we do underneath to get ready for that second half they just they're just ready for us to come back out you know I don't know it's it's hard to explain but it's just it's almost like when you're you know when you're in the NFL or something like that and at halftime you know you go get a beer or whatever but guys are making a, you don't even know what goes on but it's such a it's such a, I don't know, it's such a strange but kind of wonderful feeling to know that we're doing stuff that nobody knows what the hell is going on right now. And to be a part of that every day at practice. And here's another thing. I used to hear people say this all the time, especially pro athletes. Oh, I never read the papers. I never read the papers. I'm like, that's bullshit. You, you, I mean, you have to read your clippings. Mm-hmm. But honestly... I didn't follow. I really didn't follow. It was just we were at practice all day. And when you get home, I got to get ready for class. I got to get ready for the next day. I didn't have time to read what. And not, nothing against Chris Easterling or the Plain Dealer or the Beacon Journal or anything. It's we didn't have time to read about what was going on. We just had to get ready for whoever we were playing. But the coaching staff, man, we didn't have time for any of that. Well, and it's true because when one of the things, one my job was to just help him get there. And the Perry game is a great example because he really didn't have anything in there about the ticket sales and how we all lost our mind as fans mm-hmm. when in the first draft. And I went back to him and I said, you know, that was huge. Like, and he, you know, he was, he was trying to beat Perry that week. Mm-hmm. But like as a fan, we were all worried about ticket sales and we ended up getting, I can't think of the guy's name. Bo, 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 Bo Rugg. Yeah, I mean, we, we got some from um, the OHSA to, talk about that and I learned stuff because again I'm, I'm a Maslin fan so you know I'm shooting my mouth off with the best of them just protecting my tigers but I really learned a lot about scheduling and that's all in the book um, which was very interesting I thought yeah I didn't know anything about that I mean I had heard you know I heard some of the kids coming in class oh we don't have tickets or whatever but I'm like well just you could get some. I mean, that was the least of my. You know, I'm like, I don't, I don't know anything about what you're talking about. But I gotta leave. It's two, it's two fifteen. I gotta go. You know. Yeah, I think uh, you guys did a really good job covering it, and uh, you know that was a really big event for us. You know, it probably meant nothing to you know the coaching staff, the team that wasn't hearing it from their parents or friends. Um, but I mean, it was such a big deal for us. All of us are at work. And the tickets go on sale at like 10 a.m. or something. And everybody's trying to log on. 
And I remember I was on and it said it was sold out, but then I refreshed it and it came up with a, it was like a ticket with something next to it, like copy. And I was like, I don't know if this is real or not, but I bought it anyway. <laughs> and then I spent two days like trying to get a hold of them to see if it was a real ticket, all while battling off fans on Twitter and, you know. <laughs> when I certain, think that was one yeah. of the times that I pushed him to be a little more nasty. And again, I'm glad he was always right. Like I was the one that wanted to be meaner. But then what makes me angry about that Perry thing? And this is not in the book. So, you know, this is just some crazy old section 14 uh, ticket holder <laughs> screaming is that now people say well there was enough seats in the end and I hate yeah. that because that's not it, true it wasn't. if there were more tickets available it would have gone and it would have been a bigger thing and it's Maslam Perry you know it should be at a at a good event yeah I mean we were we were all over Twitter getting battled by everyone and since we have the podcast account we keep getting tagged and everything and uh you know, it was not just Maslin Perry people, but people around the state that were yeah. complaining about it. Um, some random people from Lake were jumping on, and they were trying. They were defending their stadium. And I, I get it. There was, well, it was a lot a of great stadium. It was it's not great. about and, that. You know, it ended up it ended up working out great. Yeah. They did the best that they could possibly right. do with what they had. Um, and I mean, they came to their defense, and then you know they thought we were all trying to talk bad about them or their stadium, and it, it all worked out great. But yeah, to what you were saying, um, they, there just weren't enough seats. People stayed home; they watched it on TV. Yeah. I think somebody said the last time Maslin and Perry played each other, it was like a fourteen thousand. Uh, yeah, it was attendance. that faucet. Yeah, it was like fourteen thousand attendance of that game, and then we went to Lake, and I don't know what they actually said the official number was. I think five, they said five thousand, six thousand. Yeah, um, a lot of standing room. Um, but I mean, yeah. To, to kind of get that point across was that everything went smoothly, but if it would have been at a bigger stadium, probably would yeah. have been a much bigger crowd. Yeah, I'm well, sure. And what I think Bo said that I'm pretty sure made the book um, was that the Tom Benson Stadium just yeah. turned it down. Yeah. And it yeah. has nothing to do with the fact that this, because I remember him saying it has nothing to do with the fact that the state championship is played there. So my mm -hmm. thought that I'd put out, Dave Morgan would never say this. This is not Dave Morgan talking. This is <laughs> that idiot Maslin fan, Scott Ryan. Think about that next time the Hall of Fame wants community help and things like that. You know, when they could have helped the community and keep Maslin and Perry and all that money and all everyone going out to dinner in Stark County, they chose not to. Yeah, I mean, that was always kind of the rumor on the streets was, I mean, when the playoffs first started, I think we heard that no one was going to use that stadium until the state championship game. That was just kind of the deal. Everybody was kind of under the impression that the Hall of Fame didn't want it. Um, but I, I don't know if that's actually true or not. But, I mean, that's definitely, you know, I never really thought about it the way you just said it, that, you know, it, it affects more than just them. Yeah, it, it affects business. Yeah, yeah. It affects business. And, you know, you... That allowed a lot of businesses, which is great for Hartville, great community. We ate at that uh, buffet out there that's great. So, I mean, I love supporting them. But it does take that. When it's Maslin Perry, it, you should keep it in Star mm -hmm. County to keep local businesses alive. All right. So kind of getting back into it a little bit. Um, the title of the book, 15 for 15. You know, we think we have an idea of it, but explain it to people that really don't know what that means. Okay, it's a great, it's an interesting title. I mean, it really is because obviously our goal 
is to win 15 games. We play 15 games. The goal is to win 15 games. And so that whole that whole motto started with Coach um, Simon a couple years ago, him and Coach Roddy. Um, so it, it started in like um, like winter winter workouts in January. They, at the end of practices, they would all just do 15 push-ups to symbolize the 15 weeks that it would take to win a state championship. So um, as the season started, uh, the preseason ended, this was a year ago, um, there was a player that went to Coach Simon and said, hey, Coach, you know, we don't want to stop doing this. Let's keep doing it for every game. So that's how it started. So JP would have everybody come down after, you know, they'd count, you know, 15. Um, but part of that 15 for 15 is a journey. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about because I teach my kids this in class, you know, every year. So, and, and it's really pertains to me too because that 15 for 15 was a journey that I went on. It, 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 it's my perspective. Those guys have been on those 15 for 15 journeys for their whole career if they coached. This was my first time coaching. So that 15 for 15 journey I kind of relate it to, and if you think about it, everybody has this in a certain way. So there's this thing called the hero's journey. It's in every story, right? So it's like a clock if you look at a clock. So like at 12 o'clock, and now think about every movie that you've ever watched. And have you ever watched The Wizard of Oz? Wizard of Oz? Okay. The Wizard of Oz is the greatest movie that follows the hero's journey. And I'll explain it to you. So so at 12 o'clock, your status quo, your... And, and keep the Wizard of Oz in mind and keep my story in mind. Okay, at 12 o'clock, your, your status quo, It's this is where your life is. Okay, at 1 o'clock, you get a call to adventure. Something happens. You get your call to adventure. And most of the time, there's a refusal. Now, you look at my situation. I got that call from Nate. I refused it. But then you get that call again. You, you think about Star Wars or Wizard of Oz. Dorothy, she hated nobody was paying attention to her. Her call to adventure was, I got to find over the rainbow, right? So that was her one o'clock. Two o'clock. Now think of every movie. It's the assistance. Somebody helps you. Some old wise man comes along. Somebody, Wait a minute. Am I the old wise you're man the in old this wise. damn story? And you think about it. Think I'm not that old. You, you, Why can't I just be the wise man? Well, but you know what? You could, but you can't. May, may, maybe it's the coaches. Maybe the coaches are my assistants. I think Nate Moore is the old old man. Yeah. I, I, think, could be. I think it's could Nate be. Moore. But think about that. So it's 2 o'clock. You get your assistance, right? And then at th- and 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 really that refusal is always because you're safe. You you don't want to you don't want to leave that comfort zone. All right. So three o'clock, you leave your ordinary world and you go into your special world. Now, if you look at the Wizard of Oz, when she that that house lands and she walks through and she opens the door, it turns into color. She's in her special world. Right. For me, that special world was the football field, the indoor. So now I'm coming out of my I'm coming out of my comfort zone, and now to this extraordinary special world. All right, so four o'clock, you have all these trials, all the games, the regular season games, the battles, and you think about Dorothy. She meets the scarecrow, and the witch is trying to kill her, and they keep moving on, they keep going, they keep going. Five o'clock is the approach. 
Six o'clock is when it's this is it. Do or die. Seven o'clock is the treasure. When she killed the witch, she got she got the broom. That was the treasure. Follow me? Eight o'clock. You re it's how do we resolve this? Nine o'clock. You you return back to your ordinary world. Season's over. My season's over. Now, now that crisis, that six o'clock, you know, it, it doesn't always work out the way it does, but you still have to go on that hero's journey. You still return. You still There's still a treasure that you got. At nine o'clock, you return to your special world. 10 o'clock, you, you have a new life. At 11 o'clock, you, you tie up all those loose ends. And then when you come back to 12 o'clock, you're upgraded. You're a better person than you were when you started that journey. And then when that's over, every one of those kids, those coaches, they start that journey again. So for me, that 15 for 15 was a journey. It was a hero's journey because I'm a completely different person than I ever was had I not coached at Maslin. And that's why I said I've done a lot of sports things, but Coaching here was probably the one of the greatest sports experiences I've ever had because it changed me. It changed my it changed my relationship with my wife. Um, it changed my relationship with players, with coaches. I found a whole new family that I would never have thought I would have. I met friends that I never thought I would have. So that fifteen for fifteen means so much more than just fifteen football games, if that makes sense. What does 15 for 15 mean to you? I, I mean, you don't have to compare it to Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> oh, just... I don't even think they remember that. <laughs> I remember uh, that I Dick Van Dyke come I on just, the flying car. I just, I just <laughs> proved I am the old man, <laughs> isn't I? <laughs> yeah, it's some Disney movie. I yeah, just, yeah, yeah. You're, there you so, go. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. Look at me. Close no. enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just in mass, to you, what, you know, forget the book. Mm -hmm. Just to you, what does 15 for 15 mean? Uh, 15 for 15. This is great. Put me on the spot. I know, right? Uh, we, we, we asked the questions here. Come on. What do we <laughs> uh, no, I got it. I got it. Uh, 15 for 15. He's just playing. I, I think it means like just kind of more to life. Like you, you just have to learn to enjoy the journey. Like you were saying, you know, you, if you're going through something hard, if, if you're going through anything, you know, it's you, people always talk about all oh, the lights at the end of the tunnel. Learn to enjoy the tunnel, you know? Yeah. Um, right. Anything you go through, it's always it, pay attention to what is what you're going through at that moment. And it everything that you do will affect you in some way and ideally should make you a better person at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, to me, 15 for 15, I think it starts with expectation. Um, but going beyond that, I think it, explains that there's levels to it there's steps that have to be taken it's not it's completely different than um during the off season just saying that you want to be state champs um you know when you're when you're taking off for sprints during your summer conditioning you know you're not just clapping your hands saying you know beat saint v yeah. or state champs you know there's it's 15 for 15 and i think it shows that there's you know there are, there are 15 steps to this process and you can't just look at the end result you have to look at each step along the way and i mean you guys aren't doing you know one push up after the first week 
two after the second week. Right. But it's kind of that week by week status, and you, you can't skip one. Yeah. You can't just pass one by. You're not going to just show up at 15. You have to go through one through 14 first. Absolutely. And uh, I think the it all starts with expectation, though. And in Maslin, we can we can kind of do that. And you know, there's pressure. There's pressure on the kids. You guys relate to that in the book. But I mean, there's there's definitely pressure on yeah, the kids. Yeah. You, you're not going to hear many other schools saying that they're ready for 15 before the season starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's uh, you know that's an ode to our kids, and uh, it's definitely the journey they have to go on. Yeah, that's the most impressive thing that I realized. I mean, I've been here five years, um, and I knew a lot of the football players who I had as 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 students. I didn't know them as a player on the field. Now I coached baseball and basketball, so like a Robbie Page, I would see him in a baseball, you know, kind of setting. Or like um, I'm trying to think who played football. Um, I mean basketball. Um, but but the point is, like you, you would see those guys, and um, it, it felt like it was it was interesting for me because these kids. They didn't have the, like you didn't see the pressure in their faces or. They didn't feel like there was pressure on them because this is just what is expected of them. And they're used to having a level of excellence expected of them. So they already understand that. So they feel like if they don't, if they're not working toward that, like you said, if they're not working toward that, they're letting somebody down or they're letting people down and they don't want to do that. So I thought that that was something that was so unique about these kids is is there's so much pressure on them, but they don't but they don't know that there's pressure on them. It's just normal for them to want to be excellent, and you don't see that. I mean, I I didn't see that. I mean, you you know, I saw it occasionally at different programs that won. Um, I won't mention one um, when um, I was covering Stark County and, you know, Coach McDaniels was at McKinley, you know, that was a guy, great coach, and those players kind of resembled that. Um, But that was the thing that really kind of surprised me or intrigued me was these kids, the pressure, they want it because it's going to make them better. Well, on Twitter, there's been some people who have – tweeted nasty things to Dave and I about 15 for 15 and saying that's a bad title shouldn't it be 14 for 15 or things like that and you know you never get in a Twitter fight that's dumb but to people who think that way I would say read the book because you learn that that's not what it's about and of course we want to win a state championship that's what we really want but it's better to strive for one and put the work into it i'm i i don't know how i feel about every year them doing 15 push-ups after the game because is it is it logical that we're going to go to the state championship every year and i feel like especially the first year i thought are they really going to keep that up but after hearing Dave talk and, and getting a lot of the book, I think it's not a bad idea to set that as a goal because you don't achieve everything in your life. And, and there's, a less, there's a big lesson in this book, whether people will get it when they read it or not. We can't do anything about that. But the lesson is there. Yeah, I think um, 
what you said about keeping the 50 for 15 going. I think it's going to be it's something that, that they're going to keep doing for some time so long as the talent's there. You know, you have to, as a coach, you have to take an honest look at your team and say, hey, what can we reasonably expect of these guys? And you can only ask for so much more above that before, you know, it's like you can't be at a program like some little cornfield school that goes two and eight one year if they're lucky and say, oh, 15 for 15. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's, there's some, that's what separates like good coaches from great coaches and finding that balance of how much can we expect of these kids versus how much are they actually going to be able to reasonably accomplish. Yeah. But then, but then, you know, that's a great point, but then you kind of look at that and say, well, are you shortchanging some of these other kids who are in third or fourth or fifth grade when you stop doing that? And they always saw that happen and they say, Hey, you know, I, I want to do that, you know, and then now they don't do that anymore. So does that diminish? Well, because I'll tell you what, th- these kids coming up, I mean, these programs, the coaches who are involved and, and how they prepare those kids. I mean, it, it's like, who's to say that they can't do that? Because they're working just as hard now as these little little tigers. They're working just as hard. Well, I love that. I love this debate because then earn it. So I I kind of like his thing of looking at the team. I mean, what if you know there was sometimes we went four and six. I mean, I remember those seasons, and I also remember standing at Lincoln Way in the rain when we were. I, probably three and six facing a McKinley team that I knew we were going to lose, but downtown was still full and Maslin's always going to support their team. That's not going to change, but you should have to earn the 15 for 15. I, I, I totally think, I don't know that just cause you're in first grade today, when you yeah. get to be a senior, you get to do 15 for 15. I don't like that. Yeah. yeah. I want, if the history keeps it, from then, then I like it. Well, I, I think I'm in charge of it. I'm pretty sure they're going to ask my opinion. <laughs> that's a good point, but but that's 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 kind of what he's saying, you know. Like, you but know, I felt like full, you disagreed with it. Well, I do to a certain degree. I mean, you know, those kids who are in third or fourth grade still have. I mean, they, that should be something they look up to. But at the same time, there should be a culture that coach understands that. Hey, this group, you know, before we could do that, and 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 I'm guessing that coach, that head coach, will say, look. You know, we we went three and eight or three and seven because you guys don't play like a team. You're selfish, right? You don't put the extra work in. So how the hell are we gonna do fifteen for fifteen when you guys are now? When we get to that point where I feel you, we have that. That then maybe maybe that does happen. But no, I, I get your point. But at the same time, yeah, the coach ha- the coach has to see that culture of that team and say, okay, yeah, we got some great kids here who are all into the team because we wouldn't have had that success these last three years if we had a culture of me, 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 and you know, kind of selfishness. We wouldn't have had that success. And by the way, you asked what it's like to write a book. You see what the two of us are doing right now? We've been doing this since December where we talk about a game or a topic and we go back and forth and it's been the most fun I've ever had ever working on any book project. I mean, I'm so sad this book is over. You know, you know it's because funny. Because we've agree. had so much fun on the phone talking about this stuff. I agree. And you know what? You know, there's you had talked about the process of writing books. It, I mean, people always, I hear this a million times. I know Scott, I mean, this is his business. People will say, oh, I'm going to write a book and I got a great title. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's the worst. I mean, it doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? And so, you know, so other people would ask me, you know, because of the LeBron book, I've, I've written two LeBron books and one with Coach Trussell. I wrote a book about the history of the greatest plays in Ohio State football history. And then people, they always say, hey, you write a book, you're writing a book. And it doesn't happen that way because nobody's going to want to read a book that you're not invested in, you know, and you can't tell a unique story. So, you know, I haven't written a book in what, 10 years. My last book was in 2020, 2010. Um, but the right book had to come along. And it just that opportunity wasn't there yet until this opportunity. And sometimes you don't see what those opportunities are. Like, I would have never thought I was going to write a book about LeBron James. But I just happened to cover this kid who was in sixth grade who was amazing. And then when he got to high school, they said, hey, we'll keep covering St. V. So I could have been anywhere in the country and that wouldn't happen. Same thing with, with this. If Nate hadn't called me, if Eric Copeland hadn't gone to John Carroll, then I wouldn't even be sitting in this room. So that's why, that's how books come together. You know, and then you have to convince a publisher that, you know, it's worth doing. And they're going to be devil's advocate out of the gate because they <laughs> want to sell books. They don't care what the story, how great it is. Will we sell books? We talk like this all the time. Yeah. We'll go again right now. Yeah. We'll it's funny because I remember he said, oh, you know, we're going to have fights. And I said, first of all, I was thinking to myself, I was, first of all, I get along with everybody. I compromise. I'm like, let's just do this. And there was never any, you know, we, we had disagreements, but it was for the betterment of the book. It wasn't just like, you're an asshole. That doesn't make any well, sense. I said that after we hung up. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, to me, that's not fighting. Just like the debate about 15 for 15. Like, that's how you get something good is if you want something, then push and pull at it and try. I mean, it's no different than being on the football field. Of course, I've never been on the football field, so I don't know. That's saying as you know a writer, yeah. but well, he did he did cut out something that actually I realize now why we cut it out, and I don't even know if I want to tell this story about the swing band. Well, the swing band is our halftime, which is great, but what we cut out was something else. Yeah, we we, we cut something out, um, and I thought it was in, but it made sense because we couldn't write a book about masculine fo or my perspective and not have this the tiger swing band in it number one i have so many kids who are majorettes you know uh, who who play in the band and to leave them out would have just been a, a travesty but i had a story i had some stories you guys know bj brophy right? uh, B, bj um um burek you know yeah. bj okay so we we had some stories about him um meeting paul brown as a player they were strange <laughs> like he 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 told me a story about how um his i think it was a senior year second game of the year the coaches called him in and said you're going to be starting and he said he walked back out into the locker room he was by himself and he said paul brown was leaning on a locker wearing a cap and he said he heard his voice and he turned and he was gone and then he told me another story. Um, he there was a game where he had an interception, and I think he said something like he was trying to showboat, 
and he was running one handed down the sideline and the ball hit off of his hit off his but he said as he was running to the scoreboard he saw that he saw Paul Brown with his hat winking at him <laughs> and he said he did that it was just it was strange we had those stories in the book because I believe that he saw and heard Paul Brown mm-hmm. because in the same way that some people when they lose a family member and they sit on the bed at night or something and they feel a presence if you know BJ he loves Maslin so I believe him I believe that he felt that presence and he saw Paul Brown wink at him on the scoreboard and then at the last minute he looked up again and he was just <laughs> I, I believe it but we cut those out because you know we, we kind of reconfigured the book but I wish we could have kept those stories in when it comes to writing you know any book and trying to put different stories on paper you know, how hard is it to just word things the right way so they actually come across, you know, to the reader, you know, the way that you were told it in person? Well, that's a that's a good question. So what I did was I had I had a notepad with me during practice. Um, the first couple of weeks, I, I didn't know I was going to write a book, so I never even mentioned it. To, well, I knew I was going to write a book, but I never said anything to Nate because I needed to find out the right time to let him know because I wanted him to know that. I wasn't trying to be a writer disguised as a coach. I was a coach who wanted to write a book about this experience. So once he said, go ahead, I still had to balance and make sure that I was coaching, but still taking notes. And I knew at the end of the day, if I didn't have anything written down, I would misquote. I wouldn't have things accurate enough to tell a good story. So I would go home and then I would like just transcribe notes that I had. And then I would, on my phone, I have a voice recorder. So I would go back and say stuff in my recorder that I heard or the conversations that I heard so I would have it on there. And then I have a program that would upload that. So I did that. But um, it was a challenge to figure out how we were going to write the book. You know, are we going to just go week by week, you know, game by game by game? That's going to be kind of boring because you could pick pick the newspaper up and get that so I needed to find out stories you know layered stories from players and things that happened that that could resonate with the reader you know people could kind of relate to so that's what I tried to do and then having a publisher an editor that looks at things and can add kind of like it's almost like an actor does their hits their mark does but then you bring in all those other special effects and all that stuff and then the movie just looks it's like it's in 3D it's just high def you know that's what they do you know well and I think what you're asking the answer is it's work it's it's like if you're not a football player and you go to see a football game you might think oh I wonder if this team just decided to throw the ball right then in that moment well no they've been planning that exact play since January and a coach has been writing it out and they've been practicing it and they do it 47 times that's how you write you you have your first draft and then you keep working at it and you keep working at it and then he has his wife read it and she says, well, this is wrong and then he gives it to me and I say, well, what about this? You forgot about this and then our other partner, David Bushman, goes over it and it gets back to him and he writes it again. The month of May, the two of us, I mean, we were probably working 12, 14 hours yeah. a day. Yeah. He's given me stuff. I'm going through it back and forth because June 1st was pretty much when we needed to be done 
I mean, a normal book does not come out this quick. You don't have the game in December and the book is out in July. But there were two reasons we wanted to do it. One, I think the main one was to keep it topical. You know, how interesting is the 2019 Tigers in 2022? And the other thing was neither of us wanted to get in the way of 2020. Like, Maslin football starts over again August 27th, 30th? 14th, 20th. I'll let you edit it. Um, (laughs) And we didn't want, we didn't want to be in the way. Like we really wanted this book to be out before then. So we're like, oh, let's celebrate this because I think that matters to Nate. He never wants to look back at last year and and stuff. So we said, let's do this quick. And it's a it's a testament to Dave Morgan, honestly, that he wrote this book that quick. I, I mean. That's unheard of. This is the fastest book I've ever written because, like, like Scott said, it usually takes the average is like 18, 18 months, and that's short period of time to write a book. Eighteen months because you've got to research, you've got to write, you've got to edit, re-edit, redraft, all of that kind of stuff. So all of that, that those, the pro that process, we just amplified. It just had to happen quicker. So the edits had to come back, and then I had to fix those edits and send them back. And then, so it was really fast. You know, when you have a longer period of time, you could take the edits, take your time, redraft it how you want it. And then there's a wider time period. But we didn't have that time. We didn't have the luxury of that time if we wanted the book out. Well, and, and like Trox was amazing. Yeah. Like when we were, we'd be up to a play. Because, you know, a lot of the book has to do with Aiden because he set a lot of records and you you got to cover that. And we'd get the book and my partner, David Bushman, helped because he knows nothing about Maslin football. He lives in New York City. And actually, when I told him about this, he said, a high school football team? Like, we're going to, what? And I'm like, no, trust me. Like, yeah. it's going to be good. And I think he's become a fan. But he would say, we, you know, we don't have this. And you'd text Trox, and Trox would give us something great, or you'd yeah. text who else? I would, so I, would, many I, I would text Trox, and I was like, hey, listen, what was going through your mind when, you know, the McKinley game, when, when Andrew tipped that ball last minute, okay, and then you saw we were going to have the ball back? Take me through all of that, because I'm in the press box. I could hear, you know, the offensive. I could hear Mazur. You know, obviously, I could hear the plays that are being called. But I don't know when he takes that headset off and you can't hear him. I didn't know what he was saying to Aiden and, you know, how do we protect the ball? Are we going to run when it was third down? You know, all of these all of these things, you know, and Trox went through that with us, you know, through text, through email. He just went detail by detail by detail. And that's the kind of stuff that most people, you know, you're not going to get that in the newspaper. You're not going to get that. You're going to get, oh, Aiden made a great call. And, you know, that's why he's been awesome for us. That's all you're going to get, you know. And there, but like you were saying, there's so many of those stories, those inside stories that kids told about what was going through their minds at certain particular moments of the game. Well, and tell the story about at the McKinley game that I just told you that I love so much that I never knew. I wonder if this is one of the stories maybe you had mentioned you had never heard. Okay, before. so um, so I think it was like in the fourth quarter, and McKinley scored to to put us ahead. Push I mean, behind. put put. I'm sorry. We were behind. We were behind. I'm sorry. And McKinley, yeah, McKinley scored that, that put them ahead. I think by four, or something like that. So, um, so Terrence, Terrence was winded. So, so he's on the sideline. And it's right before the kickoff. 
TJ Williams comes running down to him, and Terrence told me the story. And he said, "Hey, he said, Terrence, man, you need to get a blow. We we you need to get a blow because we need to get we need to get this touchdown back." He said, "Do you want me to go?" And Terrence was one of our kick returners. Mm-hmm. He said, "Hey, do you want me to just go back on this?" He said, "Yeah, go ahead, man. I I need a blow." So TJ went back um, as a kick returner, and actually, if you watch it, he got the ball. The ball was kicked to him, and he comes right up the middle. And he gets hit hard, and he almost fumbles. You can see it if you look at it. He almost fumbles. But I wrote in the book. I really think had he not, had he not been selfish, or had he been selfish, and not even wanted to go out there, or had this mentality that oh, I just want to run the ball, he would have fumbled. He knew that his job was just get that ball, get it. Get us good field position so that Terrence could come out fresh. And that very next play, Terrence busted that long run for a touchdown. That's the kind of story, T.J. Williams, where he had some kind of unsettled times during the season, but matured to the point where he knew we needed somebody to do something. And that was his, his small way of helping out just on that kickoff. And we scored on the very next play. That put us. That was that. That was the game winner. Yeah, I mean that was definitely one of the stories that I I didn't know about. Um, and I also you know really liked the story about Cole Jones and his conversation. Oh yeah, with Terrence. Yeah, um, and that, that was that led into it. That, that was yeah. just another little thing mm-hmm. that you know you never really would have heard about or yeah. you know no one else knows unless you really ask the kids. Right, so. right. And that was the that was the play that he scored on. Um, Cole, the series before Cole said that you know him and. I want to say Kuth, I can't remember who, but he said they were able to, the blocking scheme, however it was, I don't know, but they said that if we got another chance to run that, we could pin our, we could pin that, that linebacker and that would break open that hole. So he, he told Mazur that. So on the very next series after the kickoff, um, they ran a run play that Cole said we could run. But before that, Cole went over to um, Terrence and said, hey, look, just run on the run right up the crack of my ass. We're gonna pin this guy. It's gonna be open. I'm telling you, it's gonna be open. And TK said he just nodded. He said, "I got you, brother. I got you, brother." And that was the play we ran. And he busted. I think it was a 60 yard touchdown. And that that was the game winner because we ended up scoring later. You know, in the last yeah. minute on um, Jaden scored a, but but his touchdown was the game winner. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's something that's, I remember reading it, and it was just like, wow, that's, you know, it's just those little things that, you know, even like the coaches might not have really known, because I mean, you tell, you know, the running back has, you know, the gap that he's looking for in yeah. a specific play and everything, but that's just a little tweak that, you know, maybe if he wasn't looking for it, yeah. or if, you know, the lineman didn't block it a specific little way different yeah. than normal, um, I remember, you know, my senior year when we played McKinley, we ran a play that it wasn't working great all game. Um, we pulled our left tackle. And for whatever reason, McKinley's linebacker was filling differently than normal or not how we expected him to fill, or maybe he wasn't filling. I, I couldn't tell you. But our left tackle decided that if we run that play again, I'm going to change the way that I try to block him. And we bust off a 65 70 yard touchdown yeah. run in that game just because just a little tweak yeah. and you know i have no idea if there's what kind of conversations went on but yeah. it's the same yeah. same idea but it but that says a lot about cole you know jones who 
was such a, I had him in you know as a sophomore and as a senior, but just such a smart smart football player, and he saw that you know during the course of the game he saw that, and was able to relay that to Coach Mazur. Now the great thing about that is Coach Mazur has a great relationship. Man, th- these coaches were amazing, but Coach Mazur has such a great relationship with his linemen, um, and he gives them so much freedom because he, he he's prepared them. So the fact that he you know, was able to say, okay, Cole, yeah, what do you what do you want to run? You know, okay, we're gonna run that set as soon as we come out. You know, he trusted Cole, and that says a lot about Cole, you know, and and you know, the type of player he had been for the last two, three years. Yeah, well I mean, there was a there was a lot of great input that you have in this book, a lot of great quotes. And you know, we talked about how quickly this whole thing came together. Um, you said you took notes during the season. Um but when it came to getting a lot of these quotes from the coaches and players, you know, how much of it came, you know, during the season versus probably after the season when you're when you're trying to recap? That's a good question too, man. You're on it. Um, a lot of it, a bulk of the quotes came afterwards because as you look back in retrospect and you look at certain plays and and certain parts of the book that I wanted to write. Um, I had to look back and say, okay, you know, when when we had third and six against so and so, or, you know, when Andrew, you know, the first game, you know, and you saw that, you know, he was on fire. Did you want to throw to him more? You know, those kind of things. Yeah, but there were some I can't think of offhand, but there were certain things that happened during practices or during games that I had notes, conversations that I had in practice that I made sure that I spoke into my phone. Or, or had in notes that eventually went into the book that happened in real time. You know what I mean? So it was a mix of both. Because at the time, I mean, it, it would be hard to take to, to try to quote these guys during the season and not understand how I was going to put the book together. You know, I couldn't, I didn't have that foresight, you know, I didn't know, you know, I had to let the season play out to a certain degree. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that. I mean, you don't always pick up on things, you know, at the time, or you have so much other stuff right. going on. You know, we can watch a game live. Coaches, you can watch the game live, and you pick up way more than we do. But yeah. it's when you watch the film, yeah, yeah, that you kind of like notice this, and it's yeah. like you can pause it for a second. Right. What if we did this, or what if you know what mm-hmm. were we thinking at this time? Right. Um, you know, sometimes you sit back and look at it, you can get a better perspective. Yeah. Um, while you were doing that. Were there any specific weeks of the year that you kind of wanted to touch on more than others or any special weeks of the book that, you know, just meant more to you? Um, yeah, yeah. There were a couple weeks, actually, in the regular season when we played my alma mater, Warren Harding, because, um, you know, I I hadn't been to Mollenkopf Stadium in decades, you know, so to be back there... Um, there's a great story in the book about um, going back to Warren. So when I knew we were playing Warren Harding at Warren Harding, so we we were on the uh, bus right in front of Paul Brown Tiger Stadium. So I called my dad and I'm like, Dad, we're leaving in about um, five or ten minutes. I said, do me a favor. I said, can you get me 50 pieces of um, Uncle Nick's chicken from Buena Vista and meet me in the back parking lot? He said, yeah, I got it. Yeah. So it's funny. We, we get into Warren. We get into the parking lot. My dad's there with two big boxes of chicken, Uncle Nick's fried chicken. A lot of the coaches, when they scout, they go to the Buena Vista. It's like 
the Krauses of chicken in Warren. And so so my dad, so we get off the bus. Now all the all the guys are taking all their stuff and they're going straight into the visitor's locker room. The coaches are going out onto the field because we always did that, just kind of survey. And I'm walking in the gate with all this chicken. And I walk over to the trainer's table and I lay them out there. Hack is like, now I told him all week long I was going to get chicken. So Hack's the first one over there. <laughs> so Hack comes over there and then Coach Simon and they're like double fisted just eating chicken. The, the kids are going into the locker room. They're out there, greasy fingers and Mazers standing out there with his arms folded, shaking his head like, and he said, this is effing bizarro world. <laughs> <laughs> Because Mays was always like focused, good guy, love him, but he wasn't about to go over there and start eating chicken, you know, two hours before our game. But it was, it was, it was funny because I wanted to experience, you know, being in Warren, but being part of Maslin's team, you know what I mean? Being part of the coaching staff. And my dad was there. My mom was there. We took pictures. There's a picture of my dad and I in the book afterwards because he's a long-time season ticket holder. But I got to see so many great friends. Um, the McKinley game, that well, was and incredible. I, I just want to oh, yeah. inter- interrupt. Yeah. What was really nice is after I brought him the Krause's pizza, he got me a whole thing of that chicken. And I, oh, no, he actually never did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was waiting for that. No, oh, that's right. Yeah, I owe you. He I didn't owe some get Uncle me chicken. any of this yeah. great chicken. I owe you. And yet he just had the nerve to say it's the Krauses of chicken. Uh, yeah. And yeah, yet, yeah. have you guys? Did he bring it for you guys when he was on the show? Yeah, just no, no, no. Oh, okay. Well, well continue. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I owe you guys some chicken. So. <laughs> Um, and then there was another game. Let's see. So, oh, we played Austin Town Fitch. And, you know, I'm from that Warren Youngstown area. And Wedgwood Pizza. Pizza in Youngstown is amazing. So I didn't ride the bus that game. I called Wedgwood Pizza earlier, drove there, and I bought like five sheets and, you know, did the same thing. You know, it was laid out there. The guys were eating all the pizza. But the McKinley game was incredible because I couldn't sleep. Got up around three o'clock. It was really, it was a beautiful day. If you guys remember, it was a beautiful day. Um, and just, you know, just knowing that I was going to be part of one of the greatest rivalries in sports, that was just so much fun to be part of and, and to experience. And I'm glad we won because I coached baseball two years in a row and we lost both times. I was a JV coach. We lost 6 5 in extra innings and 10 9 in extra innings. And then I coached basketball with Kale, freshman, and we lost in overtime. So I'd never beat McKinley. And I'm thinking to myself, here, here I am coaching football. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that Nate Moore is quoted in the book as saying that Andrew's tipping of that ball will go down as one of the greatest plays in the Massa-McKinley game. And I agree. that. There's a great visual in the book uh, that you can honestly see that play unfold. And when you read it, it's the truth. I mean, it's what happened, but it sounds like a movie. It sounds like it's made up that he, you know, there's a guy wide open and he switches over. And, well, well, and that what, was what, one of the greatest plays. What was cool about that is Andrew told me this. You know, he said, so if you remember the play, Andrew's on the left corner of the end zone. He said... That guy was running that fade route, but he said, 
because they were in the end zone, that fade route was it wasn't it was no good because he he's he's out of room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he said once he saw that he was in the back of the end zone, he said he just his his instinct was just to turn. And he said when he turned his head, he said, I just saw the ball floating. And then he said, I realized it was the traject- trajectory was so that he was like, I could get that. And then he tipped it. Now, I have a friend who told me that he talked to Elijah, the quarterback, Elijah Curtis. No, Elijah, well, well I, I can't remember. Uh, Wesley? Wesley, Wesley, yeah. yeah. He said that he had Look talked that. to Let's, let's give it a, up for him. I mean, is, what a McKinley yes. fan. Good job. <laughs> and this makes sense. Now, he told me this maybe about a month ago. He's a Canton guy. And um, he told me that he talked to Elijah afterwards. And he said, he said, that pass, he said, tell me, he said, I actually, he said, when I saw how wide open he was, he said, I didn't want to overthrow it, and I just wanted to just put it in there that I just kind of lobbed it up. And it makes sense. That's exactly why he was able to. Because if he would have just followed through and threw it like he normally would, but he said he was so wide open, I don't want to make any mistakes. He said, I just kind of just lobbed it. To kind of go back a little bit about how you can watch the game and pick up on different stuff, that play they lined up with two wide receivers to the left and a tight end to the right. As soon, and it was like a play action, I was hanging my head thinking they scored because the tight end released, went vertical, and he was, it was wide, wide open. open. <laughs> right. And he didn't see, Elijah didn't see him. It, I was hanging my head, and I'm like, and I hear our fans start cheering. I'm like, what the hell's going on? What what happened? Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. But isn't that incredible? I mean, just think of the difference if they make that. That's why football is so amazing, and that rivalry is so amazing, because I don't know if that would happen in another game just like that, where both teams, I mean, the both seasons could have spinned a whole different way yeah, just yeah. on that one catch so the McKinley game was a game that we both felt we got to cover the game because as much as people in Maslin and it'd be nice if if people in Star County bought the book that's not going to happen even though there's Glen Oak and Perry and McKinley in it I mean it's a it's a tribute to Star County and there's nothing nasty in the book because I had nothing to do with with any of the writing uh but um I I just think that I lost my place. Well, 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 th- that's okay. But let me tell you this. So, <laughs> no, you talked about like, oh, you were talking about how how it could have flipped, changed so many, you know, se- seasons could have been different. And I remember you were talking about you had your head down, and Terrence. Now I, I you know, talking to Terrence and Cole. Terrence said on that play, he turned his back to the field and was down on one knee. And he said, I'm just going to listen to the crowd. And if over there yells, I know we stopped him. And if over here yells, then we didn't. Cole said, no. He said, I stood right there. I wanted to see what we had to do. I wanted to see if our defense could hold. And I wanted to see if we needed to just, you know, get a first down. So it was kind of interesting to see two guys like that who were so important to our season have two different ways they wanted to find out what was going to happen. And like I said, part of that, you know, it's in the book because if you think about it, so we held them, but but there was still like a little bit over two minutes left, like two 210 or something like that. So 
that's part of where Trox comes in because now he's got to decide we're still deep in our own territory. If we go, if if we don't get a first down, they still have that. You know, I think we were we were up by three or four, three or four three. there, three, three there because they could have because they could have kicked the field goal and tied it. So we still had work to do. So Trox's conversation was like, "What do we do? Do we run? If we run and get stopped." Do we throw it? We don't want to throw it. We don't want to get the ball tipped to get an interception. So, you know, he had to make the right calls, you know. So I think first down, um, we got we we picked up six or seven. And then second down, um, I think Zion got one yard. So it was like third I think it was like third and third and six. Third and six. I think it was like third and six. So now we call a timeout. Trox is like, do we pass? If we pass, you know, clock stops. If we get a tip ball or interception, you know. So the fact that we threw the ball. And and then in the book, you know, Aiden talks about that pass. He thought, he said, right when he released that ball, he said he felt a gust of wind. So he said, oh, I overthrew him. Over through Jaden, he just felt like that gust of wind, and it all fell into place for us. Yeah, I mean, just an absolute great play, great call when yeah. it works. Yeah, right, um, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, no, but you know, even if it was incomplete, we were going to punt and they yeah, were going to score, yeah. so it's all good. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, but I think the interesting tie to that is when you reference later in the book against Hoban, a very similar situation, and we needed a first down. And I, I think you had Nate on there <clears throat> quoting it um, that it came decision time again, third down. And you can pass it, and, you know, play action might be wide open. We might be able to capitalize against McKinley. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there's always the downside, you know, incomplete pass, and we got to give the ball back to Hoban. And, uh, you know, just different situations, different teams, playoffs, regular season, McKinley, Hoban. But, you know, it's just another aspect of, you know, where you have to put that together. And I think Nate had a quote in there about how, you know, he usually doesn't, you know, influence play calls at all. Right. But that was one of them where it's like, hey, let's let's try to ride this out. Zion's going to get us. Yeah, that's down. what he said. He said, he said, he said, Zion, he said, hey, Zion, we need a first down. You're going to get it. And Zion was like, yeah, I got it, coach. And he said, that's all I needed to know. You know, and Zion, you know, Zion, for me, I'm glad he 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 won the um most valuable offensive player. He deserved it, in my opinion. I mean, obviously, we had great we get we had great guys, but Zion was the kid that you know he went from was going to be our starting running back to H back, basically fullback kind of. But you know, but he did everything. He blocked. He he could catch the ball out of the backfield in space, and he was hard to bring down. He ran hard. Once he got to the line of scrimmage, you know his his size. I mean, his speed, he had speed for his size. Um, always had a great attitude. I mean, he was really, really a big part of, of what we did just because he said, okay, I got a new role, so all right, I got to do it. And he's the kind of guy that would come up and, like, we'd run um, reps, and then the second squad would come in, and then Nate always, had, we always had music in there. And he'd run right under Nate's face and be doing this. And Nate would be like, move. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Zion was great. He was he was awesome. Yeah, I mean, Zion had a, a big personality. Yeah, right? yeah. Every week at the sideliner meals, 
everybody's sitting down you're having your meal with the sideliner you, you know you're eating except for zion mm-hmm. zion never sat down once he's walking from table to table uh-huh. joking around with 70 year old men he doesn't know yeah <laughs> He yep. never sat down once at any side on her meal. I don't uh, think he's just walking around the whole time, yeah, yep. joking around. I mean, he was just the most excitable person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, a huge personality. Yeah, yeah. And well, I, re- I remember, um, I remember last the year before his senior year. So his junior year, it was around March or April. School was almost out, and I remember he always came in my room because I had him as a sophomore. But a lot of the kids always come back to my room. So he's moping for like two days. He's moping. And I'm like, Zion, I said, here, come back in there. I said, what the hell's wrong with you? He's like, man, I heard some running back from St. V's come in here. I said, that's what you've been moping and, and you know, feeling sorry, you know, for yourself about. I'm like, he said, man, you know, they're, they're taking my picture. I said, listen. You've worked too hard in this program. Coach Moore, they're not they're not just going to kick you to the curb. But you got to quit feeling sorry for yourself. You've worked hard. I mean, and I didn't know anything about Terrence. I said, "Don't let him come here and take your position." Now, looking, you know, back, Terrence, I love Terrence. Terrence is great. He fit in great with us. But after a couple of days, Zion Zion was back to himself. But and then look what he did. I mean, he he had to do a, he had to play a different role, and he played it. I mean, you couldn't even ask for for a better um, performance in every aspect of the game. And it was because he finally snapped out of it and and figured out, you know, okay, I'll do whatever I have to do for the team, and that's what he did. Well, I think that's the thing about the book in that in Maslin, we know how the story plays out. But if you pick this up and, you know, Zion's introduced in chapter one, he tells the story that he just told, and then Zion beats Hoban. I mean, Zion gets Mm -hmm. the first down and it happens in chapter 13. So while for us, it's just like, oh, you're reading what you know. If you don't know and you pick this book up, I think people are going to, you know, hopefully around the world, people are going to become Tiger fans because there really is an incredible story and and a lot of through things. Um, the Warren chapter is very personal, but then in the playoff Warren chapter when no fans show up, um, and that was before I even knew you. Yeah. And when I was sitting there, it's always fun for me because I sit in section 14, so if Maslin wins a home playoff game, that's the one game of the year I get to sit on the other side and it's like visiting another country and the whole thing feels different. And I look to see if anyone's sitting in row S, seat one, that's my seat. And there was no one from (laughs) Warren. There was no one from Warren in in that. And it was kind of sad, I think, because they are a huge program (laughs) and and that rivalry matters to Maslin. And I, I think it, certainly still matters to Warren but yeah I, I didn't know that you know through the researching that Warren Harding is is Maslin's second longest you know rivalry behind McKinley which I knew that because you know growing up in Warren my dad used to take me out of elementary school in fourth grade and we go to the Hall of Fame and then we'd go to this place that I thought was an NFL stadium I mean I remember it you know but I you know, I write about this. I mean, it's, you know, there, there may be some Warren people that, that get upset about it. I hope they don't because they know that that's, I love Warren. My parents still live there. Most of my family still lives there. But to see 
to see no one over there in those stands. I remember, I remember right before kickoff, I've got my headset up and I'm looking over and I'm thinking, first playoff game, it's it's Warren Harding. Back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, especially 2000s, that place would be packed across there. There was nobody there. I was so disappointed. I was so disappointed. And um, so I wrote something about that. And, and it's in the book. Actually, a friend of mine, Steve Arnold, who's the football coach, he called me the next morning at 730. And I knew why he called me. I knew as soon as I saw Steve Arnold, I knew why he was calling me because I hate to say it. His kids quit. They quit in the second half. And when he called me, I saw the phone. I knew what he was calling about. He asked me a lot of questions about what does Maslin do that we don't do? What what? And I explained to him what it was all about. Um, and then you guys might know this guy. He's in the book, David Worm Wormbaugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Worm posted something that night or the next day. Yeah. And when I saw that, I said, Worm, and I've known Worm for years. His family and I, they were great friends. I said, Worm, man, you hit that on the head. I said, I was, I said, can I use that? He said, absolutely. So that's why we have that part in the book. Yeah, I remember uh, for that playoff game, uh, Hank, we actually sat on the away side in the second half. Yep. Um, and we sat, you know, dead 50-yard line. Section 14? Mm, is that the 50-yard line? Yeah. We were there. <laughs> was it row us? No, I don't know. <laughs> we were about you as, were drunk by We were about as dead center as you could get. <laughs> right. And, uh, I mean, there was a sporadic couple families yeah. of yeah. Warren players around us. And it was it was just almost depressing. Not just that there weren't many people, but, I mean, the things they were saying, they were like, they weren't even mad. They were just like, I don't want to say making, they weren't making fun of the kids, but yeah. like some of the younger you know, college-aged kids um, that were Warren fans are like, well, I can't believe Maslin's dropping 50 on these guys. Yeah. Like, man, these guys. Man, these guys can't play. Like, you know, kind of talking bad about yeah. their own players. Yeah. And like, yeah. not a single person said a word. Yeah. Everybody yeah. just kind of let this go on. I'm like, yeah. yeah, this is completely different than the first time we played. Warren. Right. And mm-hmm. and that was, that was Worm's whole, his, his that was his point, was the fact that, you know, if you're not going to support them, why are you going to why are you going to slam them? In? And and I feel bad saying that they quit, you know. But when you look at what you look at the perform, or if you look at you know how they were playing in the third and fourth quarter, especially you know when we would score and there'd be a extra point, they didn't even move. They didn't even stay. They just kind of stood up. It was like I felt so bad, you know. Yeah. Um- my senior year, it was like the same way when we went up to Toledo Whitmer, um, when we just got more or less taken back behind the woodshed and just got the brake speed off of us. And I remember being on that sideline, seeing how our team was, and then that Warren game, sitting up in the stands, not too far away from their sideline, yep. and it was the exact same kind of atmosphere. Just everybody, you know, coaches are yelling like, hey, we got to do this, we got to do that, and just a general indifference yeah. from the players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. was at the Toledo game I I drove up and what I remember about that game more than the score was when they announced the Masson Tiger head coach's name you know the the team they they announced the refs and the coach not one Maslin person clapped (laughs) and I thought 
I've been to games since I was like 10 years old and I'd never heard that before. And then of course the next day he was no longer the Maslin coach or pretty close after that. Am I wrong? Do I have the wrong year? That's like a three year difference. You're thinking of Perrysburg. Oh, I got the wrong place. Whitmer, Whitmer, my senior year, that was 2012. Perrysburg, 2015. That's the one I'm thinking of Um, was when, because we, so the Perrysburg mm -hmm. game was with, um, the the kid who plays at Oregon, right? Was the quarterback? Is that or the Toledo's or the one you were talking about, Toledo Kemp? Whitmer? Yeah. yeah. Why uh, can't I think of his name? He's famous. He's the Kyle famous. Kemp. Yeah, yeah, that was that when was we Toledo lost Whitmer. there. Okay, yes. I was at that one yeah. too. But um, I'm thinking of the one yeah. up at Perrysburg. That was the one. Kind of to your point, though. I think my senior year, that whole year, that's about when the like the goodwill of. Jason Hall kind of started turning to the worst because talking to like the older kids, like maybe that were seniors and we were sophomores, they love Jason Hall because he was like better than Stacy. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you if he was like a different man, different coach then than he was like when we had him. And if it got worse or that's just how he always was. And Stacy was just that much worse than him. But it feels like 2012, that was kind of. Our team, we had a lot of expectations. Like, we were thinking state championship as well. That's kind of how, like, I relate a little more to this 15 for 15 than, you know, Hmm. some may. But I think that's when it started to turn. There was no more that, and no more kids in the program that really remembered Stacy and that, like, just had Jason Hall. And it was like, you kind of started to see why people disliked him and why he left the program how he did mm-hmm. yeah it just surprised me to hear Maslin not clap that's just there's certain things from certain games like I don't remember every game that I've been to but mm-hmm. there's moments that I'll never forget and I remember going wow I, I I've never heard that before yeah I mean not to sit back here and talk about past coaches but, no we're not we're not um, being mean to anyone no, it's just but, it's fact um i i think that <laughs> <laughs> um you know i think perception is a, a really big thing um because what we've kind of alluded to all day is that there's so many things behind the scenes that you don't know about um you know the coaches there's so many things going on that it's honestly not fair for the average fan to judge any football coach right because they just don't they just don't know yeah Um, But I think one of the biggest perceptions, specifically with Jason Hall, was that he was never here. He never lived in Maslin. He didn't attend things, really. Um, He kind of just did his own thing. He coached football. He went home. He didn't go to booster club meetings. He didn't go to meetings. He didn't interact with the community at all. Wow. And so I think, you know, a great thing about, you know, Coach Moore and, and Becca um, even if you take away the wins and losses, just their involvement with the, co- yeah. with the community. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you talk to Booster Club members, the difference is just night and day. Yeah, yeah. And I think perception takes you a long ways. You know, if you're winning, people might not really care. But when you're on the fence and nobody gets to interact with you, they don't know if you actually care about the community or not. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, you know, that's something that, you know, Nate and Becca just... You know they do care. Yeah, yeah. They, they they happen to be really good football coaches, really good administrators. Um, you know they they're great at what they do. They do a lot more than people yeah, realize. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think the book will help with that. And I was lucky enough to get to have breakfast with them, um, to work on a project. And 
you know, just being a kid and thinking that someday I'd go out to breakfast with the head coach of the Massling Tigers would be like saying, you know, whatever, I'm going to direct Tom Hanks in a movie or something. You'd be like, <laughs> what? It's not yeah. going to happen. And, you know, we had our meeting and it was all, and I, I just had to tell him at the end of the breakfast, I said, look, I'm, I'm a longtime Tiger fan. I don't care if we win or lose. That's the honest to goodness truth. What I care about is how our players represent us. And you've turned Maslin football around, and it means something to me personally. And I could tell he didn't – he was very nice, but he did not want that compliment. I think he's a very humble person. Yeah, yeah. And I knew he didn't want me to say it. But just as a fan, like what Maslin has turned around over the last three to five years yeah. is is great for fans, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> I knew – you know, this is my fifth year teaching. So I knew Nate because he was the AD – and, you know, we just have regular, you know, just normal conversations, nothing deep or anything like that. But being the journalism instructor, along with the English teacher, um, we had the opportunity to go to Chicago and cover Lori Lightfoot's um, inauguration. So we, you know, she rolled out the red carpet for us, but we needed an administrator to go with us. So Nate said he would go. So during that trip, I learned so much. I got to know Nate more than I ever had before. And, you know, it, just the bus ride back. And, you know, the stories he was telling me about growing up in Cincinnati, his dad was an administrator. Um, I think he was a principal. Um, and he told me that his dad, and I never knew this, you know, Nate went to a school for performing arts. You know, he's left-handed. He's very creative. Not that right-handers aren't, but most left-handers are creative. I mean, my kids are left-handed, and, uh, you know, my daughters are very creative. They can write. They can draw music. He plays the guitar. He he told me that growing up that his dad would take him downtown Cincinnati and drop him off at the library and say, go make friends, and, and, um, and wanted him to experience diverse diversity. And a lot of people may not see that. That's really how they are. You know, they, they they want to be part of the arts. They want to be part of the band. They want to support so many diverse things, whether it's music, art, cheerleading, whatever it is, that's what they that's what they're but but if you look at Nate, you know, on the surface and see this big guy, burly, you know, beard, you know, football guy, you would think that that's how he is, but he's a really soft spoken, um, you know, just just a, a, a normal guy. And that's part I forgot to t mention this. So like at halftime, you know, we're in the locker room. And even before the game, it's like two hours before the game. And you would think everybody's got their game faces on. And, you know, it's like dropping pin. We'd be in the coach's office. And Stu would be drawing up these funny-looking cartoons. And, mm -hmm. and Jarvis and Kale would be looking at memes and joking with each other. And... Hack would be saying, "Um, oh, you don't know, you don't know what real pizza is. This is like a game. This is like an hour twenty, uh, you know, forty-five minutes before our game. So then we come back in around six thirty. It's the same thing. Nate's looking at his phone, scrolling. I mean, I always thought it was just like this, but you know what? Nate told me he said, "Look, Friday was really the fun day." He said, "We prepared. We did everything we needed to do." There was no reason for anybody to come in uptight. You know, so 
you know, around 5, 5.30, we would have our offensive meetings, our defensive meetings. You know, we'd have that. After that, it was just like guys would come in, sit down. Coach Weber would be, be you know, roasting whoever else. And then Chip would be roasting JP for what he's wearing. I mean, it was like a comedy show in the locker room, you know, before. But that's part of, you know, Nate's personality. He kept it, you know. He trusted everybody there. He knew they worked hard. So it was just like, hey, let's just go out here and have fun. It was like that every week, every single week, even up to the state championship game. There was no like, are we tight? No. It was fun from start to finish. It was a blast. It was so much fun. Okay, we've been here forever. We got to talk about Sunday's event so people know what's going on. We're doing a signing of the book Sunday, July 19th from 12 to 2. We'll be right there at Masson High School, probably right in front of the home side stadium. We want to make sure everyone's safe, so we're asking people. They're going to stay in their car. All our signers are going to be wearing masks and gloves. You'll pull up. We'll take credit card or cash for the book. You'll roll along. Dave Morgan will sign your book. Nate Moore is going to be there to sign. Becca Moore. Coach Dave Weber, because we've got his letters in there. Sorry, I was thirsty. And um, (laughs) Dave Weber, J.P. Simon, who pretty much started this 15 for 15. He's going to be there. Um, I think what's going to really excite people... I'm going to be there, the person you don't know to sign the book. And maybe some surprise guests. We're not going to say. We're working on a a couple, and we would like it. This is coming from uh, the football team. If you have hand sanitizer that you want to donate to the team, they need it to keep everyone safe. We're going to have a basket that you can just throw a bottle of hand sanitizer in. 10% of all the sales are going to a 15 for 15 scholarship that we're going to be giving away at the end of 2021. No, it'd be not the end of 2021, but the school year. Yes. And one boy and one girl will win the scholarship, the 15 for 15 scholarship. Um, so did I forget anything, Dave? No, it's, I, I'm looking forward to it, you know, because like you, you, had, you know, spoke on, you know, Nationally, globally, it's released September 8th. So, you know, people here in Maslin are able to get it before that. And it's, it's, it's a great book. I wish we had time to talk about a possible movie. Um, yeah. but we're working on we're, we're working on that. It's something maybe we come back and talk about. But, um, no, I'm looking forward to it. I hope uh, people come out, um, you know, get the book signed, read. It's a good read. It's, it's, it's a really good read. You could read it in about four or five hours, which is a good thing. I mean... You know, I've I've already had people message me saying, you know, love the book, you know, couldn't put it down, and you know, so just hope people come out um, and support us and and enjoy a great story. We got to say we 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 got to say uh, Rocky Dorsey. Oh my God, the pictures! You know, he did a great job of providing a lot of the pictures. So we just want to make sure we we thank Rocky for that. Yeah, he gave he donated all those pictures to us, and it really tells the story. There's a ton of pictures in the book. Uh, it's it's I think people are going to be very excited when they see it. Yeah. So Sunday um, from twelve to two at the high school, more towards the stadium or the school stadium. Uh, we we don't know because okay. we want to have the most space where we can keep the signers. We're, we really mm-hmm. want to keep everyone safe, just to be sure, because we don't want any of the coaches to get sick. Or so we we don't know, but in that area, either in front of the high school or in front of the stadium. 
Okay. Uh, well, to be safe, I would recommend to come in off of 16th Street from the light. Yes. And that way you'd probably have the right. longest ability to see where to go, get in line, stuff like that. Yeah. Ideally, we would want them to come in from 16th, like if you were dropping your kids off at school, you know, the front, and then you'll go around past the ticket office, and then you'll come up toward the front of the stadium. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, definitely make sure to get out on Sunday. Uh, from 12 to 2, it's going to be a lot of people there signing the books. You can get your book, uh, the early release, and you can read it before anybody else. Yeah. And I, I was afraid you weren't going to pass me the mic because I know that's your wrap-up voice. Well, no, but you were in the middle of finishing your Colt 45. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I have to have it finished before the end of the podcast. There's still quite a bit left, so we got a little bit left. Rules are rules. Um we're going to do something that we do with every new guest on the podcast. David Moore, uh, Coach, you can participate. You can ask questions if you uh, come up with any, but we're going to do a little rapid-fire segment. Okay. Scott Ryan here. All right. I appreciate that. Um, and we'll just start off. Um, you, you said you drive up to you know Mass on every Friday from Columbus. That's a nice little drive right there. What's the song you play that really gets you going, ready to go, start of the trip, like, all right, let's get after it? Well, actually, whenever we get in the car to go on a long trip, we listen to the Indigo Girls' Get Out the Map. Now, if anyone's ever said the Indigo Girls on this show and Gilmore Girls, <laughs> they get a free book. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I, that, I never heard of the Indigo Girls, let Indigo alone. Are both firsts. Yeah. Let yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a first. That's <laughs> my thing. Oh, last second. Um... All right, is a hot dog a sandwich? Classic. Classic. Yeah, that's a good question. Good question. It, of course it's a sandwich. There's Thank no you. doubt about it that a hot dog is a sandwich because it has bread. Okay? If it has bread and meat in it, it's a damn sandwich. Yeah. I, I like it. Mm -hmm. Follow up with the class from last year. Mm -hmm. um, is a Pop-Tart a ravioli? It's interesting that you would ask me that question because I would like to return the question to the two of you. Uh -oh. Is a Pop-Tart oh. a ravioli? Now, I've oh. just handed them Pop-Tarts covered in spaghetti sauce. Now, would you eat um, that? That's not the question. You see, <laughs> that is, is that a ravioli? Did I just hand you a ravioli? That's my question. It could have not had the sauce and been a ravioli, yes. But a ravioli has sauce on it. That's a ravioli. If you think a Pop-Tart is a ravioli, there you go. The icing is the sauce. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, okay. So you're saying you go to an Italian restaurant, you're going to Chibo's down, which is the best Italian mm -hmm. restaurant yeah. mm -hmm. in, in this area, and you're going to get icing on their ravioli. They also have the best ravioli in the world. No, because there's different kind of raviolis. You know, there's meat, there's cheese, there's fruit. But you you were doing it by what's on top of it. And there you go. Get a fork and tell me if that's a ravioli. Listen, you're going to tell me all a sandwich needs is bread and meat. <laughs> <laughs> and then give me a hard line definition of what's ravioli. Hard line definition. Yeah, that's how it goes. This makes perfect sense. I, oh, I mean, I've been listening to you guys answer. for two years asking people if a ravioli is a Pop-Tart. And it's not. A Pop-Tart is a glorious human invention. And the brown sugar Pop-Tart is the only Pop-Tart I recognize. 
I can't get over this. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the first. <laughs> there is two pop tarts covered in sauce laying in front of us, and and I did it this morning when I left Columbus. So it's it, that's about eight hours old. Where's your forks? Man you got your for, forks? He comes prepared. Rob, we have to do this. I, <laughs> I mean, come I, on. No, I, don't, I do not have a fork. Well, wait a minute. A fork. You got, oh, my phone's on. Your phone's on, isn't it? You got to get a, pic, is, get a picture of them for social media horrendous. so the people listening yeah. go out to at FMP Books, follow us on Twitter, and you're going to see. Hold it up, boys. Come on. Come on. Let's <laughs> let's get a good picture here. Yeah, there you go. There we go. Yeah. Let, Hank, here. Hank's having no, no. Uh, <laughs> I don't. On one hand, I just want that thing to go away. Right, right. On the other Your hand, ass will be on fire if you ate that. <laughs> on the other hand, it's like... It's uh, McKinley morning feel. all over again. Yeah, yeah, give that to Mazer. It's like, I kind of feel obligated. <laughs> Rob, I, listen, I want to do this just as much as you do, which is to say not at all. Um, Post-game show. This, we have to... Oh, oh no, my God! Oh, no, no, no! Oh. I, I am taking. It's soggy. <laughs> yeah. Oh no! I can tell exactly how soggy it is. You are Wait a minute! <laughs> you get oh, the video? God. I'm getting the one of those socks. <laughs> Here we go! That's just cheating. It's a first. Here we go! <laughs> is a pop tart a ravioli? Get cheers. them over here. They're gonna cheers it up. Oh, look oh at that. that looks Double yummy! Double cross! <laughs> Double cross! Cross oh, is sponsored. There we go. Yeah. So my question, boys, is: Is a pop tart a ravioli? This tastes like a ravioli. This is a ravioli. <laughs> it's like you sprinkled cinnamon on a ravioli. It's actually not horrible. I finished I, I, my bite for being eight I, hours old. And yeah. old. All right, that was great, and I ain't touching it. It's not horrible. It's a ravioli. My God, it's not bad. It's not horrible. <laughs> it's I, not horrible. I expected worse. I uh, yeah, going into that, I expected much worse. I'm, I'm out of liquid to wash it. Down. You know, it's that not, was impressive. It's right not there. bad. I thought you guys were bullshit. I didn't know you were going to actually eat it. No one's tested us before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I had planned that out, man. I had that. He told me. I had that all worked out. You just had to rapid fire, didn't you? <laughs> Listen, that was coming out one way or another. Oh, my God. Impressive, though, that it was. Oh, I'm still on. I hope everyone at home is enjoying a Pop-Tart covered with Prego sauce. Uh, The key is you need to let it marinate for eight hours. Yeah, eight hours. So when you do this at home, send us your pictures on Twitter. Uh, we want to see your homemade Pop-Tart raviolis. It, and try it. It's not, not it's, it's not bad. It actually does taste like a ravioli. I would probably stick with the cinnamon one and not yeah. like some well, the berry-flavored one. Yeah. But I, don't, um, I mean, yeah, try that. Send us your tweets um, and then show up on Sunday. <laughs> And uh, rumor has it is if you show up with one of these, the author might eat it. <laughs> we'll see. You know? um, all right. Well, still kind of workshopping our new season-long question for all the guests, but here's here's mine. I like it's at the top of my list at the moment. Is a snake mostly neck or mostly tail? I have my answer. Mostly. <laughs> Tail. Mostly tail. 
I think that's yeah. I think it's mostly tail. That's you're going to get yeah. most often. Um, I mean, looking forward to the season. We have a lot of different things we're going to try to do on here. Um, that's going to be a lot different than what we've done in the past. So you know, make sure you keep listening. Um, but I mean, this one was all about you guys. This was about your book. Um, it's a great read. Hank and I both read it. And uh, you know, make sure you get out there on Sunday because you know they put in all the hard work. They expedited this process for you. So, you know, make sure you reward them. Um, you know, this is this is staying home in Maslin right now. So, and, and th- this is for this is for everybody here. I mean, it, it really this is for, you know, I'm I'm an outsider who wrote the book and Maslin people should be proud. If you're from Maslin, you should be proud of this book because there's so many stories that will make you proud that you're from here and these kids are from here. And if you're not from Maslin, you're going to get a you're going to get a sense of what football is here with some great personal stories. So if you like football, if you like sports, um, you know, if you like you know those stories of human, you know, overcoming certain things, you'll you'll enjoy it, but the Maslin people will really be proud of this because the people here are great. And the book is also on sale at Simon Says, which is J.P. Simon's store, yeah. and Howard Tiger Rags. It's it's available at both stores. We will be selling them at the games, and it's available at 15for15book.com. And I'll throw a coupon code out. If you use Black Swarm, we'll give you free shipping. So, But come to Sunday and get it signed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you want to get these things signed, you know, there's one time to do it. Yeah, just we'll we'll have the books there at the stadium, you know, so you just pull up, boom, and then we'll be moving, you know, people along and you'll get get them signed by everybody who's there, you know, so. Yeah. Come on out. So, uh, I mean, try to make it out Sunday. If not, you know, they mentioned the other avenues. You can try to find the book. Um, You can always contact us, contact them on social media as well. So make sure you're following all of us. Um, you guys got all of your plugs out of the way. Anything else you want to mention? No, I think that that ought to do it. it. Thank you so much. I'm a longtime listener. I love listening to this podcast during that week. It was very exciting to be on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. I mean, I listen all the time. Um, some <laughs> some of the stuff that goes on is kind of entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I had to be. You know, there are a couple of times I'm like, I got to go home. You know, I can't, I can't have that here. I got to go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, thanks for coming on. You know, uh, we needed content, um, and we're trying to get back into this, and we got some more shows planned coming up, but, you know, we definitely had to get this one out there for you. Um, we really appreciated you guys, you know, showing us the book ahead of time uh, so we could kind of get a feel for it going into this. And, uh, you know, thanks for coming on. It definitely helps us as well. Go Tigers. T-I-G. Go Tigers! I'm gonna clear my head I'm gonna drink that sun The saddest sight my eyes can see Is that big ball of orange sinking slightly down the trees Is hot, the corn is high, and 
That same sun that warms your heart will suck that good or dry With everything it's opposite enough to keep you crying Or keep this old world spinning with a twinkle in its eye Get out the map, get out the map and lay your finger anywhere down Believe the figure it to those we pass on our way out of town Drink the water, there seems to be something ailing everyone I'm gonna clear my head, I'm gonna drink that sun I'm gonna love you good and strong, while I love is good and young Joni left for South Africa a few years Whoa!